Well, welcome. Here we are. I smell eggs. Is that a thing? Everybody have eggs? Is that good? I really did. Like I was sitting next to Cindy in the small group and she lifted up this casserole thing and I'm like, oh, it's It's like the greatest thing on the planet. Um, Hey, when you got into your small group, you got your prayer cards and did you get one of these little bad boys in your chair? If you got one, hold it up. Uh, It's okay if it's in your pocket. You don't have to stand up and get it out. If Flomo, who came to If Flomo last year? Yes, thank you, awesome. Ask these girls what it is and why you should come. Um, Before we get started, I just wanted to plug that a little bit. I've had people ask me, they keep seeing all this if stuff floating around. They're like, hey, what is this thing, this if thing? Um, I wanted to try to adequately describe it a little bit. I know Lindsay did a really spectacular job last week in the video too, but I want you to know this. We had the opportunity, your leadership team had the opportunity to preview what's coming. And can I just say that you don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it. You cannot, you just cannot miss it. I mean, we're just going to trick you and come get you. You cannot miss this opportunity. IF is a organization that's run out of Austin, Texas, and the whole idea is that they gather, equip, and unleash the next generation of believers. Guys, that's us. That's us right here. And it's so cool that... um, We are studying the book of Hebrews. We're learning about the early church and how they were unleashing, right? And and the writer of Hebrews is attempting to fuel them and equip them. And so it goes, it just marries right along with what we're studying. And so I want to encourage you guys, um, take these cards, register. It's just, it's like a a mini retreat. Like we were laughing. We're like, don't call it a conference because, ew. And then a gathering, that just sounds kind of like a cult. That's weird. So... We'll call it a retreat. And Don goes, yeah, it's like a retreat, but then you get to sleep in your own bed. So it's kind of the best kind, right? You have enough of your friends, and then you're done, and you go home. Um, It's on uh, February 24th and 25th. It's a Friday night thing. And then you go home, sleep a little bit, come back the next morning refreshed, ready to go. We feed you food. We feed you God's word. There'll be live worship. Nicole and Patrick are running that show. It'll blow your mind. Um, Have I sufficiently promoted it. It ain't going to go away. I'm going to keep harping about it. Um, you got to be there. You got to be there. So if you can, take this, share it, share it with folks. There's other cards out there. If you want to grab a handful of them, right, grab them and start just giving them out to strangers. They will be, think you are the weirdest person, but they'll be like, well, I got to check this out. This is weird girls give me a card. So there's that. If you got questions, Jessica, raise your hand. She's got a lot of answers. And so do the other girls. Who else went last year? All right. Find them, ask them what in the world this thing was and and talk to them about it, okay? All right, with that said, um, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapters four and five. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, we come to you today and we come to you, um, we wanna be hungry for your word, Lord. Um, I gotta confess, you know, sometimes I'm not too hungry for your word. I'm hungry for a lot of things. And it's not um, what it should be. So will you forgive me for that? And, and the beautiful thing is that you are a God who knows and understands and sympathizes with every struggle I have. So thank you. And thank you that you sympathize with every struggle in this room. Um, I pray that today we walk out of here knowing you as the king and high priest. But more than that, more than just a title, that you are a, a God who came to this earth who walked and suffered and and was tempted and dealt with life the way we deal with life. And so you understand when you approach the altar on our behalf. 
And so, God, um, show us whatever you want to show us today. Um, We're listening. Give us um, the next 40 minutes to pay close attention to who you are and what you want us to understand about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my son had a basketball game last night, so this happens. Um, It was good. We won. Those are the things that matter. Um, we're going we're gonna to move on, and I'm going to do my best not to cough. So just you're going to have to listen up real closely, because if you don't, you start falling asleep, and I cough, and it's in the microphone. It will wake you up, and it's not going to be fun. So stay awake. Pay attention. Um, open up to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Now, we covered a lot of Hebrews chapter 4 last week, right? Um, and you notice my compadre is not up here this week. I, w- I kind of wish she was. You want to come up? Just hang? Okay, no. She says no. Uh, so last week... Last week, remember we were putting together um, the head, how we understand, how we consider Jesus, and then we, we were working with the heart stuff, right? Becky talked a lot about hardening of the heart. We saw some warnings, didn't we, about don't let your heart be hardened. We saw this need to enter into rest. To enter, who, who needs rest? I love doing that because you guys, seriously, thank you. Joanne, I know you do. You got like a baby growing in there. She got a rest. We need rest. And more than just we need physical rest, we need that eternal rest that we can only get through Jesus. And so that's what we talked about last week. Consider Jesus. Um, avoid that hardening of a heart that can, that can get in the way of those things of Jesus. And then what are the ways that we can strive to enter into dear rest? I mean, enter into rest. Remember the dear ones, the book? How could you forget, right? Well, this week... We start in chapter 4, verse 14, we start with this whole stuff about the high priest, right? The high priest stuff. Well, let me just tell you this. This whole idea of high priest, Jesus is our high priest, um, you, just, you might want to just settle in, buckle up, because we're going to be there for a little bit. So, like, we're going to stay for, like, three chapters of high priest stuff, which tells me it's important, Okay. It's important. And so we're going to touch on some of that today. We're going to talk about McKisledek and all that stuff. And we're going, to, we're going to go there a little bit. But just know he's starting this path, this exhortation about the high priest, Jesus Christ. And he's going to go deeper and deeper and deeper. In about two and a half chapters, you're going to be like, whoa. So we start in chapter, <clears throat> chapter 4, verse 14 is where we start. And so today, the way I was going to break it down is I was really just going to talk about Jesus, our high priest. You know, a lot of this whole reading that we did is really all about that. But then remember that one part at the end, the milk and the solid food and all that stuff? We're going to talk about that because that becomes the third um, charge, if you will, in the book of Hebrews, the third warning that he gives us. And we'll talk about that a little bit. So we're going to start with the whole idea of Jesus as our high priest. And here's how I'm going to go about this today. I felt like, um, as I started writing through my notes, I thought, you know, I just, I need to read this. We need to read it all continuous the way it was intended to be read. And so I'm going to read through it. I'm going to stop a little bit here and there. But I I want you to hear um, what we're supposed to understand about Jesus, the great high priest. And I know a lot of these, a lot of this you, you covered in your homework. And so I hope that it just continues to solidify some truths for you. So follow along in verse, uh, chapter four, verse 14, I'm going to read. And it starts with this. It starts with since then, which is kind of a cousin to uh, therefore, 
right? So because we just got all this definition of, of who Jesus is, he's greater than Moses. We need to consider him with our minds. We need to think about what we know, right? And then the whole thing about don't let your hearts be hardened like the Israelites in the wilderness. So he's saying, okay, so I told you all that stuff. Now, now we're going to do this stuff, okay? So he says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confessions. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Listen, before we even keep going, what we need to understand is what the Hebrews knew about high priests. So they had a very deep understanding of the functionality of this priesthood thing, okay? They knew that a high priest was, number one, he was the highest religious authority on earth. Highest religious authority outside of created beings like angels or whatever. Like as far as a guy goes, he's like the guy, the high priest, okay? So they knew this. What they also knew, and I don't know if you knew this, but I'm going to give you this quick history. You know, the whole Levitical priest thing, do you know where that came from? If you go to this church and you've been coming on Sundays, you do. Well, in Genesis 32, there was, um, there was this guy, and his name was Jacob, and God turns his name into Israel, and so that all happened. That was kind of a big deal. You should go back, check it out. But he had 12 sons, 12 sons, okay? And these 12 sons inherited the promised land. And one of those sons was Levi. And so if you go back and look in Genesis 32, you can really, you can learn a lot of the details, but know this, this is what you need to understand. All of these different sons became the tribes and all these different tribes, God had very specific places and purposes, places and purposes. He had them spread out and he had them go places. And then as we go through the Old Testament, you'll always see like, it goes back to like, hey, this guy was like from the tribe of this and this guy was the tribe of that. Well, it's because they can trace back their ancestry to these 12 sons. Okay, well, Levi is the only one out of all the sons who didn't actually get a physical piece of the promised land. And here's why. Levi and his descendants, their job was to be the caretakers of the Holy of Holies. Their job was to be the priests. They were to be the ones that represented man to God, right? They were the mouthpiece for man. They were the representatives, right? They went through the priests. So when these Hebrews were hearing this letter, they're like, oh yeah, the priests, like we totally know their thing. So Levi, when you hear Levi, that's what you can understand about that, Levi priests. The Levitical priesthood began with Aaron and he was Moses' brother and that was in Exodus. That's when God first said, hey, we gotta, gotta get control of this scene. Now there was another priest that was mentioned before God handed down this whole Levitical thing and we're gonna cover him in a minute. He's that big long M word, okay? We'll talk about him in a second. Now, this is kind of cool. So only the high priest, and I might have said this a couple weeks ago, only the high priest, when it came to all these, like in Leviticus, like seriously, there's like this giant chapters and chapters of their job, okay? Very specific job descriptions. And I was a technical writer, so I appreciate that. There's a lot of good job description information. Very specific. But one of the things about these priests is that they were the only guys that could pass through and go into the Holy of Holies, which was the temporary dwelling place of God. They pass through like these three different places and, and then they go into the Holy Holies and they're the only ones that can do that. And they'd go in there once a year and they'd make the sacrifice and that's in Leviticus 16. That was their job. They knew their job. Okay, Priests, we know what priests do. Check, we know that. That's how these Hebrews looked at this. 
Eventually, however, these priests were going to go away. And that was a weird reality for them. Because, see, the priesthood, the, the human, the guys, as they were, they were never intended to be a permanent way to get to God. That was a temporary thing. Eventually, Jesus fulfilled and made that whole thing obsolete. And we'll see that, right? But so when these Hebrews are approaching this whole thing, they're like, yeah, we totally get, we get the whole priest thing. Okay, now you're calling Jesus this priest? Oh, okay. And so that's where this comes from. In those first couple of verses, we hear this, that we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. In their mind, they're thinking, pass through the what? Pass through the heavens? Well, the priests that they know of would pass through the tabernacle to approach God. And so this idea of Jesus passing through the heavens and now he is approaching the throne of God, the throne of grace, the throne where you receive mercy and grace, it's like blowing their minds. He says in verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. He is painting a picture for them. I I know what I know about priests, but now what you need to understand is there's this other. And he's not just a priest. He is the priest, the great high priest. You know, that, um, that verse 15, that gets to me a little bit because, you know, when I think about that, I think, wow, okay, so he tells us to hold fast. We've heard that a bunch of times, right? We've heard hold fast to what we believe, that Christ is the center of what we believe. And then he goes into saying that we got this, we got this high priest that sympathizes with us. I, I, uh, that's hard sometimes, right? It's hard to understand that, that fully God comes to earth and can understand my stuff. Hard. Um, we had some good conversations. I hope you did in your group as well about the idea of a great high priest that sympathizes. And in a minute, we're going to talk a little bit more about what the requirements are for the priest. And one of them was that they were to have compassion. And they were to have compassion for those that they were sacrificing on the behalf of. And so when I see this, this word sympathizes, that's different than just compassion. You know what it made me think of? It made me think of this. I thought if I could define sympathizes, I would define it like this. Um, What are those places in your world? What are those places that God has brought you through or maybe bringing you through? That are that are like um, that are that are that are like those places that like are cutting a nerve, you know. Like um, like I think about this. I uh, I have friends going through illnesses. I have friends that are going through divorces. I have friends that are going through struggles with forgiveness and reconciliation and just hard, heavy things. Right, and that makes me I, that breaks my heart. I have I have compassion. For those people, because that, that is heartbreaking. But you know what's different to me? What's different to me is, is when I sympathize with somebody. And hear me out. So this week, this kind of became real to me. This week, I got an email. And I get these emails. Um, I get them every so often, probably about once a month. People who know my story. Some of you know my story. Um, and, and I get this email from a friend. And she said, hey, Chris, uh, I haven't seen you in a couple years. But I got this friend. And her son just committed suicide, and I don't know what to do. What do I say? And I hear that, and because God has given me in my life um, that history where when I was a teenager, my dad killed himself, and I've walked through that, I have a different level of compassion 
Because you know what happens to me when suicide happens? And this is just me. I fall on the ground and it's like I'm back in 1985 again. And I'm just weeping and I'm crying. I don't even know these people. And I'm just, all I can think about is, oh Lord, oh gosh. I just, my heart is just broken and it kills me. And then I think, that's what our Jesus is. You know, um, he's, he's compassionate, but he's also a sympathizer because you know what? We see, we see it later in chapter five. He understands every suffering. He understands every temptation, every feeling, every tear. He gets it. He's the one who's on the ground with you when you're rolling around trying to figure out how's their purpose. That's the Jesus. That's the high priest who sympathizes. And he's trying to get them to understand this. This isn't just a high priest. This isn't just a priest that um, is going to come off or go through the motions and do what you do. This is a high priest who remembers and feels and knows. That's who he is. He is the high priest who sympathizes. You know, the message says it like this. We don't have a high priest. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all, all without sin. <clears throat> so let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give us. Let's take the mercy. Let's accept the help. You have a sympathetic high priest who gets you. Well, we go on talking about who Jesus is as this great high priest. And in verse 16, it continues on with, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Listen to the people that were reading this. That was mind-blowing because you don't approach the throne, right? You don't walk into the holy of holies because only one guy can do that. And so right here, this tiny little part might be the one thing that has somebody standing up going, hey, hold up, I don't really understand. Because remember, some of these people understood Jesus as their Savior. But that doesn't mean that this still all just jived, right? Because I think, I think, I think, some of these, these listeners who were hearing this, who maybe didn't know Jesus as their Savior, but maybe, remember, they intellectually understood who he was or who he said he was. You know, here's what I wonder. I wonder if maybe they're saying, hold on, you're saying all that, that stuff that we've been believing and doing and all the work we've done, all the priest things, and all, that that's just not, that just never mattered? And that's not what he's saying at all. Rather, he's saying all of that, pointed to this. All that stuff you did to try to approach God points to this Savior who now lets us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. In those times where we need our sympathetic Savior, right? Remember, I I love this definition. Sometimes I have to remind myself, mercy and grace were dispensed freely through Jesus. When we dealt with the priest and we had all the stuff, that wasn't necessarily the case. There's a lot of activity that had to happen. But with Jesus, it's free. You know, mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you do not deserve. 
we get to approach the throne. Matthew 27, 51 says this, and this is what's cool. So at the time, you know, think about this. Matthew 27, 51, that's talking about that moment. The moment that Jesus was crucified, okay? The moment that he was crucified, the moment that all of this came to fruition, the reality of the high priest that's now at the throne and he's there for us, interceding for us, on behalf of us, with gifts and sacrifices for us. Matthew 27, 51 says this happened at that moment. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom and the earth shook and the rock split. The curtain tore from the top to the bottom. No longer was there a curtain that kept only the priest in there messing around in the Holy of Holies. All of a sudden, Jesus is like, yeah, that's all done. That was cool, but it didn't work. And so God knew, fully knew, that none of that was ever ultimately going to be what we had to do to be able to get to him. And so the curtain tore from the top to the bottom. That's what happened. When you think of approaching the throne, that's what happened. Well, he moves on then, and in chapter 5, he goes on to talk about, like, again, the whole priest thing. And again, you know, I gave you a little bit of background about what these priests, um, what they were, and how they understood their jobs. But, you know, in, in chapter 5, he lays it out. He gives us very specific requirements for a priest, and here's how he says it in verse 1. For every high priest chosen among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. So he's appointed by God. He didn't get to choose. He didn't get to walk up and go, hey, so here's the thing. I like robes, and I like little bells, and I like to go into, and I like to incense. I, you know, let me just give you my resume, and this is why I should do this thing. God appointed them. When he chose Levi and his family, that was God appointing them. It wasn't like there was a tryout, okay? Great high priest. God appoints them to act on behalf of man in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. That's the other thing. He, that's his job. That's his main job description. I am here to offer gifts and sacrifices to the Lord on behalf of men. Verse two, he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. Ignorant and the wayward. That was, that's all of us at some point, okay? It's not an insult, it's a fact. Deal gently. He is compassionate. And then you go on into the verse and you see why is he compassionate? Because... He deals with it since he himself is beset with weakness. He's just a guy. Priest, just a guy. Great high priest, son of God. So he's reminding them of all these things. Verse 3 goes on to say, Because of this, he, the priest, is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sin just as he does for those of the people. So he offers sin for the folks, but then he has to offer sin for himself too because just like them, he's unclean too. He can't approach God either. He's just a guy, right? So that's our priest. And no one can take this honor for himself, but only when God is called, just as Aaron was. Remember, in the line of Levitical priests, Aaron was the first one that we see um, where he was the one who stood up with Moses and he became the mouthpiece, Okay. And so that's why he's referring there to Aaron. Then we go on and it says, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed. So we get this whole, like this picture of what a priest is. And then now he's switching over to Jesus. He's gonna say, okay guys, so, so that's the priest thing. Got that, right? Okay, so now the Jesus thing. This is why Jesus is the great high priest. And he goes on to say, number one, he himself did not exalt himself, but he was appointed by God. 
He continues in verse 5, and he's, he's quoting Psalm 2 here. He says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That's God, in essence, talking to Jesus, his son. He's saying, you are my son, you are my chosen one. I chose you. Verse 6, as he says also in another place, that would be Psalm 110, he says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, there's that big name. So that guy. He's a priest, but let me tell you a little bit about him before we move on, because this is so important. When I, when I, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to be straight up honest. So I've, I've read Hebrews a couple of times, like not real in depth, like we are now. Are we reading it in depth right now? Amen. Yeah, we're going there, aren't we guys? Yeah. That McKizzledeck guy, I, I, you know, anytime I see those big long names, I usually am like, okay, what, let's get on with, what does this have to say about me? You know, and, and that's, kind of how I always felt about him. I was like, I don't really understand until I saw it laid out like this. You know, I don't know what you know about him. We're going to learn a lot more about him in chapter seven-ish. But I'm going to give it a primer right now to kind of whet your appetite so you can get nerdy with the Old Testament guys like me. But here's what I want you to know about this guy. We know about that line of Levitical priests, right? That's all. I'm a rule follower, so I own own that. I love that. I'm like, okay, rules, there's check, check, check. You're all these things. But guess what? McKisledek was not. He was not in that line of priesthood. What? That's not okay. I'm a rule follower. That doesn't fit. That doesn't work. That's not who he was. In Genesis, he is actually, in Genesis 14, 18, he is the first time a priest is ever mentioned in the word of God. And do you remember who he was hanging out with when he was mentioned? Abraham. Remember Abraham? Before Abraham's name was changed and he went on to fulfill all those amazing promises um, with God, his name was Abram. And there was this time when he was fighting this battle and he had all these people and he won. And then you know who came to him? The king of Salem and high priest Melchizedek. What is that? Why does that even matter? That seems like such a side note, right? Well, number one, there's not one single priest in the entire Bible that was a king and a priest. Not one, human. King and priest. Because remember that line of Levi, those, whole, those, those guys, they had one job. Their job was they were going to be the Levitical priests. They were going to take care of the tabernacle. That, that was their job. So they weren't kings. There wasn't accidentally a king in there. But this guy, this guy was a king and he was a priest. He blessed Abram after a great battle. Abram actually gave the 10%, the first, the tithe um, to him. And then what we know about this too. Okay, this is crazy. We'll talk about this later. You know, there's no mention of his beginning or his end. No mention. He was fully human. So we know he was born and we know that he died. But isn't it interesting in a book, especially back in the Old Testament, where we have so much about beginnings and ends, right? And we have so much about heritage and genealogies that we've got this guy that just appears on the scene as though there was a purpose. And then he's gone once his purpose is fulfilled. A king and a high priest. And so when you hear Jesus compared to this guy, it's way different than these guys. It's way different than these Levi priests. Okay, and so these, these folks that were hearing this, they would know that. They would know that this McKisledek guy was, he stood out. He was something different. So there's purpose in those words. Moving on to verse 7. says this. In the days of his flesh, Jesus, again, we're back to explaining how Jesus is the great high priest, okay? Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears 
to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Have you ever cried out with tears? Have you ever um, just wept with loud cries and asked God to deliver you from something? And he said, no. Anybody? Daily, right? We have a sympathetic high priest who went through the same thing. We have this high priest. He was appointed by God. He passed through heavens to get to the throne of God, but he also offered up prayer and supplication on our behalf. He also offered up prayer and supplication on our behalf, and he was a compassionate high priest. It blows my mind because I think about that sometimes. I think we can go over that real quick, that whole Garden of Gethsemane thing. And, you know, there's two interpretations here of the scripture. Some people think that he was actually referring to when Jesus was praying and crying in the garden. And all he wanted was his posse to hang with him, but they were sleeping because, you know. But he knew what was coming. And what was he doing? He was begging God, please take it from me. Yeah. But then some people think it might have also been when he was crying and he was struggling and suffering on the cross. Same thought. Take this from me. And God said, no. Verse 9, it goes on to say, And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. It's important to understand that one of the important characteristics of the Levitical priesthood was that they were just dudes. They were just guys. They were sinful guys. They had to go do their job, but they also had to ask God for forgiveness for their sins as well as those of us who they were representing. Jesus was not. Jesus dealt with all that. He had sympathy for us and compassion, and he never sinned. He was the source of salvation. But I love that the author of Hebrews wants us to understand that. He wants us to understand that he's not this kind of priest, guys. He's this McKizeldeck kind of priest. you got to watch for it. So he draws on what they know, points to what's coming. Listen, the principle for this section is this. Because of our king high priest... Jesus Christ, we can approach a God who is real and rely upon his word that we trust. We can approach a God who is real and rely upon his word that we can trust. In verse 11 of chapter 5, we get a short little part that is so full. We could do a week on this one little section. But we ain't got a week, so we got to do it quick. we got about 10 minutes. The dull of hearing. You know, when I read this little part, my first thought was the dull of hearing. I don't understand what that means. Well, here's, here's what that means in essence. It means this, that he's talking here about spiritual progress. Spiritual progress, okay? And, and the lack thereof, right? When we get into the whole milk and the whole solid food thing, we realize, oh, man. I'm not making progress. That's what he's talking about. And so in these verses, let me read them to you so you can get context. It starts in verse 11, chapter 5. He's warning them. Okay, hear the warning. Hear the language. It's, it's a little rougher, isn't it? 
About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. So in other words, uh, maybe part of the reason why it's hard to understand is because of you. How do you think they felt about that? You know, because when you read all this, you got to remember, the Hebrew, the author of Hebrews, he recognizes that there's really problems in this church that could go south fast. He's got people in this church, in this community, who are wanting to go back to what they know, go back to what was comfortable, because it was a lot easier to do the whole thing and check all the boxes, and then I'm done, and then I than it is to understand that we've got this high priest and I don't even know what this means and how do I wrap my brain around this? It's hard for us to understand. So he recognizes that there's a danger and he's trying to get out ahead of it, okay? So he says, he goes on to say that you are dull, you've become dull of hearing. In verse 12, he says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers and you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God, teachers. Here he's not, nece- maybe he, he's not necessarily talking about that you need a microphone and, and you need to get up here in front of a bunch of people, but you know what? You need to think about this for just a quick second, and I'm going to look down at my paper when I say this. Um, I, was, I was hit square on in the face with a reminder this week that um, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, you are a teacher. Do you know that? When you have accepted him as your savior, all of a sudden your sphere of influence is where your feet are planted. You are here for a reason. And Jesus has to be known through your life because you say you know him and people are going to look at you and go, oh, she knows him? What does that mean? And so whether you like it or not, you become a teacher of the way. What are you teaching? And so he's saying here, guys, you have, been, you have been overwhelmed with amazing truths. Head knowledge, you have such a history, a beautiful history that points toward Jesus. Heart knowledge, you've accepted Jesus. He came, walked, you know why he was here. And now what? And so he's, he's up in their face about it. And it's a little offensive, I guess, I would think maybe. He calls them dull of hearing. You ought to be teachers by now, you've heard so much. But because you're dull of hearing, because that whole idea is that you are slow and sluggish in your understanding and in your soaking. You know, it's like, it's like that whole idea, like we've said before, about how, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to study God's word, I'm going to study God's word, but I'm going to study it like a history test. I'm going to memorize it for a hot minute, and then I'm going to be done with it. And what he's saying is, you are dull of hearing. You're not hearing this. It's not soaking into your bones. He's in their face. He goes on to say this. He says, verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. That's insulting, right? It's insulting because these people are people of God. He says, verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. That phrase, word of righteousness, basically means the truth of the gospel, right? So what he's trying to say is if you're not trying, if you're not progressing in your spiritual understanding, then you're not understanding really the fullness of what you've accepted here. You're missing out. Verse 9, and being made perfect. I mean, excuse me, let me go back. In verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment. I like that, that powers of discernment. Kind of like superpowers. Can we say that? Superpowers of discernment. Trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. What are the differences? He's talking about milk 
And then he's talking about solid food, which I kind of thought of meat, you know, milk and meat. Like anybody ever been around a little kid, little baby? What do they start with? Milk. Why? They cannot eat a steak. This is a thing. It's bad. They'll choke. It will not work. There's purpose in that. You know, the whole idea of this advancement of digesting um, God's word and God's truth and the person of Jesus. There, it's a progress, really, guys. And so I would say this, like the first danger is skipping the milk. We don't skip the milk. When he's saying this, he's saying this to these folks because you know what he's saying? He's going, you should be farther along. Anybody? That's me. I should be farther along. You know, I accepted Jesus as my savior in 19-something or other when I was 15 years old at ski camp. And then I lived on milk for about 10 years. I just hung on to that whole like, check, I'm going to heaven, boom, that's what I'm doing. That was it. I had knowledge of what I had accepted. I had understanding of who Jesus was. I had him in my heart. I had the Holy Spirit dwelling in me, kicking me in the teeth every now and then, but I just kind of ignored it. I had this whole dull of hearing thing happening. I just kind of blew that off. Like, I ain't got time for that because I'm good. I checked the box. I'll be in heaven. It's good. And then God lets things happen in your life, right? God lets things happen that you don't choose, that you don't plan, that bring you down on the ground again and go, hey, remember this? Remember the milk thing? Well, you should be a teacher by now. And you're not. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa. It's, like, it's almost like I lived through this. Like I lived through somebody saying to me, you should not be living on milk. You have teeth now, sister. You know? And then I went through a hard thing and then God rocked my universe. And you know what? I have never gone back to milk. Never. And it is no good. Because now if I go through those stages, which I think we all do, right? Where I kind of go back to that whole like, oh, I'm so tired. My brain's tired. Everything's tired. And, and I go back to that stage where I just back to milk. It's almost like it just doesn't taste right anymore, Right? Because I know that I need something bigger and deeper. And that's why you're here. I know you didn't come to Hebrews. I mean, I know there's childcare. I get that. That's a thing. But you don't, I mean, guys, there's Hebrews. Move toward the meat. And that's what you're doing. That's so beautiful. Don't get stuck in the milk. You're made for more. He says, we go on to say, um, when you're understanding, in verse 13, he says, the word of righteousness, that's the gospel of salvation. So you can accept it and not fully live it, okay? But let me, let me say this, and this is not, this is a Chris thing. Let me say this. Don't fear what you can't understand. Don't fear what you can't understand. And what I mean by that is, I think Satan gets all up in our grill about staying in the milk area because he thinks, ah, you're not smart enough. I mean, this Hebrews, you could barely get through the homework. You don't know what you're doing. This is not, you can't do this. And you know what? I, I hear that and I'm like, that is so not true. That is so the enemy. Just because you're working your way and you're struggling, right? You're struggling to get down the milk or you're struggling to eat peas or whatever, how the analogy is. You're struggling, but don't fear what you can't understand. Dwell in that and know this. You don't have to know it all. You do not have to know it all to be a meat-eating, Jesus-loving, Jesus-sharing sister. Because if you did, I wouldn't be here. Okay? 
Don't be afraid of that. We move on to talking about the, the solid food thing, the meat. He wants us to understand that by understanding God's word and by trusting Jesus, we get to discern and distinguish. Discern and distinguish. Two really cool verbs that he wants us to understand. I thought about um, when, I, when I got married, I thought about um, I had a generous gift given to me, my husband. Um, my father-in-law at the time traveled, and so he had like enough miles to fly everybody to the moon and back like 25 times. We've used them, haven't we? <laughs> We've used them all now. But they generously gave us a gift of, uh, of an airline ticket. And I know y'all talked about that in your groups, I think, where if you could go anywhere, I mean, that's what we were looking at. Like, we can go anywhere. Where are we going to go? And so with a lot of research and a lot of planning, we chose to go to Germany, which was we, funny, weird. Like, we were 20-ish something, and we chose to go there. It was so cool. And so we get there. We fly there after our wedding everything. We get there. We, we fly into Frankfurt. And, guys, um, I don't eat hamburgers. It's just a thing. I know. Pray for me. I don't like them. I don't really ever eat hamburgers. We get there, and you know what the first thing I wanted to do was find McDonald's. I, people were speaking weird languages, and they looked strange, and things were strange, and all the things. The car had a weird reverse thing, and there's, uh, and my husband looks at me, and he's like, what are you talking about? You don't eat hamburgers. I'm like, I need to go to McDonald's, like right now. And so there we are in Frankfurt, Germany, and we are searching for, and when there was no phones, guys. There was not a thing. Like I had this paper thing that you unfold. It's real big, and you call, it's called a map. And that is what we had. And so we get me to McDonald's and I get a Coca-Cola light and some sort of cheeseburger. And I sit there and you know what? It wasn't any good. It just wasn't the same. And I had to decide, oh, wait, I've got two weeks of trip. Am I going to hang out in McDonald's or am I going to go out and see what I came to see? That's the spiritual progress. You got a ticket you got your milk. You got your star. Okay, starting line. Don't sit in McDonald's and hang out. You got to move and you got to see what God has planned. Listen, when we're making that gradual progress, we got to remember to savor and swallow and digest all the things that God has for us. And that means studying his word and that means meditating on it. In Psalm 1, it tells us that. We're to delight and meditate in it. And, and the second thing we're supposed to do is we got to lean into the wonder when you hear and you get all frustrated about, I don't know this, I don't understand this, and all these things, instead of looking at it that way, I want you to look at it this way. I'm going to lean into the wonder of it all. Because you do not want a God that you understand. Amen? If you have a God that's small enough to you to fully grasp the book of Hebrews and understand, ah, oh, I get the whole thing, let me explain it to everybody, then you have a very small God. Very small God. And thirdly, that's my phone going off, by the way. <laughs> and thirdly, Commit to pressing on, regardless of your circumstances. We have a Jesus Christ who sympathizes with us, but that doesn't mean it's a one and done thing. It means there's more coming. I want to be on the meat diet, guys. I want to be ready when it comes. I want to be on my knees. I want to be ready. We want to be about becoming, not arriving. And with that said, I have got to close us and get us out of here because my phone is going off. <laughs> I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, um, we want to have a mature faith. We want to be filled with wonder, and we want to be committed to pressing on. God, um, we, we confess that we are just like the Hebrews that heard this. We need to understand 
that Jesus is the high priest, the great high priest, God. Will you show us those places where we are still relying on milk to get through when you have such greater things for us? Father, thank you for loving us in spite of us. And I thank you so much for these women and what they've chosen to do. And they've chosen to be here and dig into your word, Father. You are a God we can trust and you've given us a word that we can believe. In Jesus' name, amen.